0: well i'll tell you what i i I don't know about you but i'm i'm really glad to be here this morning i'm really glad to 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 be church with you this morning uh what a what a joy uh thank you so much pastor mark thank you uh judy i almost called you pastor judy um but uh, it's so good to have you guys back and, and, and uh, looking so relaxed. Uh, I know that uh, after the last month of, of, of listening to me and, and, uh, and having to put up with me, that some of you guys were worried when you saw Pastor Mark and Judy's picture that we posted a couple of weeks ago if they were ever coming back. I mean, you know, dessert on the table. I mean, they're having a good time. And so, uh, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I went out to Seattle to bring them back with me. You don't believe me, do you? Well, I have picture. I have picture evidence here. There's a great story there, but I'm not allowed to tell you yet. So ask me later. <laughs> you know, as we jump back into uh, as we jump back into the, the final message of the the sermon series that we've been going through, there's a there's a question that we need to ask. And will you ask it with me? Why? Why is the grass green? Why are my wife's eyes green? Why do so many people enjoy being out on the green? And why does that make other people green? And why after a month of telling blue jokes, isn't pastor Damien talking about the color blue? Why the sudden change? Well, it's been intentional. You see, we get used to doing things a certain way. And over the past five weeks, we've done things very similarly. Similar introductions. Uh, same questions. Why? Because it's absolutely incredible how quickly we can get used to something and stop asking the why questions. We get used to the business as usual question And responses of because we're Christians and that's simply what Christians do or don't do. We lose the the excitement and wonder of new discoveries in the familiarity. And sometimes we become complacent when we forget why we do the things that we do. And this is why we ask why questions. To keep in focus why we do what we do as we practice our faith in Jesus. Our world desperately needs to see that Christianity is, is is not some rigorous adherence to a set of principles or ancient rituals, but a vibrant, passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ and the hope that only he can provide for our world here today. This morning, we are going to be exploring one more why question, and it is an incredibly controversial question in our current cultural climate. Why is forgiveness such a big part of the Christian experience? Why do we? Or why should we forgive? Now, on the onset of that question, it probably doesn't sound like a really big deal. Um, but let me explain this another way. If you pay attention to, uh, to, to news stories or, or you observe the culture, one of the things that I've found absolutely incredible is that I don't think in our culture that we believe that anyone is capable of change. I don't think that we believe as a, as a cultural collective that anybody is, is, is capable of being better than their past mistakes or their past words. And we live in this really interesting time in human history because over the last two decades, nearly everybody has lived, lived their lives online. So with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and, and more, there's this digital footprint of pictures and videos and opinions which come back to haunt people. And as soon as those things come out, the claws of collective judgment just set in and they dig in. And it's like there's no releasing from that death grip. And it's like we believe that no one could ever be any better than the common perspective of public opinion. Yet we believe... We believe that the power of Jesus transforms us because we are people who have been forgiven. And as we have been forgiven people, there is also a mandate for us to forgive and to be forgiving people. This morning, we're going to be diving into one of Jesus' parables. This is found in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21, going through uh, verse 25. And Jesus has just finished a conversation to give you a little bit of context what's going on here in Matthew 18. Jesus is just finishing finishing up a conversation with His disciples about confronting someone who's been caught in sin. And we enter this conversation in in verse verse 21 of chapter 18 with Peter. And if you've heard me speak about Peter before, you know the affection that I have for him. Peter, always the first guy to put his foot in his mouth, always the first guy to speak up, always the first guy to jump in before thinking. Um, He's the guy off the boat before anyone else. But Peter jumps in here, and and then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations will say uh, 70 times seven. We'll get to that in, in a little bit here. And Jesus continues, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is a really difficult teaching because... Just as much as we love, love, love knowing that God has forgiven us and that He's covered over a multitude of our sins, it is so much harder for us to give away forgiveness when we've been wronged. And yet, and yet Jesus makes no apologies for how forgiveness works. And this is where we dive into this morning's why question. In your outline, number one, why do we forgive? Why, why do we forgive? Well, first off, letter A, we forgive because we have been richly forgiven. We forgive because we have been richly forgiven. Within his parable, Jesus shares that this man owed far more than he could ever repay in his lifetime. 20,000 bags of gold. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be able to translate all of that in today's money market, but back then it equated to about 20 years worth of wages. Can you imagine having that kind of debt? Well, I may not know what that looks like in our, in our uh, current climate. I do know that Uh, Jesus uses this absurd amount of money to represent the trouble that this man is in. He is in a heap. He is in several heaps of of trouble. Because if you've ever been in debt, you know that debt always catches up to us, doesn't it? Whether it's the IRS or debt collector or bill collectors, brokers always have a way of finding ways to extract those payments out of us. Uh, a few generations back, uh, they could be, the, some of these payments uh, when money wasn't available could be extracted through the handshake between baseball bats and kneecaps. Um, but within the world that Jesus is talking to, it was pretty harsh. Servitude, jail, for not only this man, his family, they were, they were, they were sold to try to gain back what was lost in the debt. Yet this man He falls at the mercy of his master, fully aware of the hopelessness of his situation. And the master, the master hears his plea. And with the man kneeling on the ground does something absolutely ridiculous. He forgives 20 years worth of debt. He forgives richly. Pardon me a second. (laughs) Our case before God really is the same. You see, before Christ, our lives accrued a massive debt to sin. And much like a child who uses their parents' credit card to rack up thousands and thousands of dollars of in-app purchases, sin always comes with a price tag. It always costs us more than, they're willing to be, than we're willing to pay for it, and, and there will always be a debt collection for sin. And this is where Jesus stepped in knowing that we would never be able to work hard enough. We would never be able to live righteous enough. That he would step in to our place. He would step into our world and bring us into, he would bring us into our second reason for why we forgive. We forgive because letter D, letter B, it is an unearned or unmerited gift meant to be passed along. The twist that makes this story so compelling and drives this point home is that immediately after this man is forgiven, Jesus shares that he shakes down someone else who owed him money, a pittance comparatively. The nerve. He he just had insurmountable debt forgiven and yet instead of showing mercy... As the next debtor asks and begs him to, he throws the man in prison. In telling the parable this way, Jesus illustrates the audacious nature of forgiveness. The forgiven man, the forgiven man forgets the nature of grace once he receives it and he refuses to give it away. Friends, I I need to be blunt here for a minute with you on this one. And I want you to hear me out. Jesus didn't go to the cross for you alone. Jesus didn't go to the cross for you alone. Yes, he did it for you but he also did it for your neighbors and your coworkers and your family and your friends and yes even the ones with the yappy pomeranian that won't shut up he went to the cross for those who we would consider the worst of the worst just as you and i are in that same company And if we are going to walk in forgiveness, if we are going to walk as forgiven people, we need to be forgiving people. Why? Let her see, because we will need it again and again and again and again. Again. And again, I think one of the traps that we can fall into often as Christians, and, and I think this is uh, specifically uh, something uh, that we Wesleyans, I think, uh, might struggle with uh, maybe a little bit more um, when when examining our walk with Jesus uh, comes in the realm of something that uh, a doctrine that that we that we teach called entire sanctification. Uh, it 's a, it's a beautiful concept that suggests that we can be so filled with the love for God that we don 't want to sin, that we have no desire to to sin, but the trap lies in two areas: one is suggesting that this is, is, this is impossible, that we could only ever always be sinners, so that 's how we live while the other suggests that we have reached a pinnacle of Christian perspective in this world and have become paragons but here 's the rub. Knowingly or unknowingly, we will hurt people. Knowingly or unknowingly, we will say the wrong thing. Knowingly or unknowingly, we will do the wrong thing. We will say or do things outside of the character of Christ, and we will need His grace to cover us through the forgiveness of Jesus. And this isn't to suggest that we always need to be in a constant state of, of, of repentance for silly things. Yes, repentance is good, but we don't want to get caught up in the silly things with, with the fears of like, oh no, did I misplace my salvation this morning? You know, I thought I put it on the bedside table last night and, and it's not there anymore. No, but what it does mean is that we must walk in grace. Not only in ourselves, but with each other too. And this brings up another question that's not a why question, but more of a how. And it's actually the question that kicks off this entire parable. And brings us into section number two. How much am I expected to forgive? How much am I expected to forgive? And I know that any time that we have conversations about forgiveness that there are those questions or those statements in the back of your head, the responses of, but you don't know what he did. You don't know what she said. You don't know how they betrayed me. You don't know how he walked out on me. You don't know. How can you sit here and talk about forgiveness and being forgiving people when you don't know what's happened to me? You're right. I don't know what's happened to you but you don't know what's happened to me either. And Peter jumps into this conversation about, about situations where, where people have, have sinned against them and, and, and Jesus talks about trying to restore them and bring them back into, into right fellowship and, and, and into a place of confession and, and restoration. And Peter's like, yeah, but Jesus, how much do I have to forgive? Like, Seven times? I mean, that sounds like a lot of times. Is that, that good? Seven? Seven times? And Jesus answers, no, I, I tell you, not, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, whether, whether your translation says 77 times or 70 times seven times, I want I to get to the point here. We need to be clear on this for the literalists out there. Jesus is not giving you permission to keep a checklist, okay? He's not giving you permission to to keep a checklist, and when somebody crosses that threshold of 78 offenses, you have permission to drop the bam hammer, no. Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's using the audacious in this parable and in his statement to outline the depths of the great love and the measures of forgiveness that we should use with each other. So, how much am I expected to forgive? Letter A, as much as you want. Now, listen, hear me out here. Don't stop there. Because as much as you want is a statement that has a very, 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 very large catch to it. And I want you to hear me, and I want you to write this down. This is not in your notes, but this is important. If you bring anything, if you take anything away from here today, this is what I want you to hear, okay? And I'm going to say this a couple of times. If you are expecting to be forgiven generously you need to practice generous forgiveness. If you are expecting to be forgiven generously you need to practice generous forgiveness. I'm going to say this one more time. If you're going to be forgiven if you are expecting to be forgiven how much? generously you need to practice generous forgiveness okay understand that forgiveness is not some karmic act which we balance our forgiveness with others which how much with how much we need we think we need to be forgiven no it's a call for us to recognize that if we have any expectation of receiving forgiveness We need to be ready to extend the same. Remember, as Christians, you reflect Jesus in all that you do. At the end of this parable, Jesus states, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And this wouldn't be the only time that Jesus would talk like this either. So don't think this is a one-off, that this was like maybe accidental, like there was kind of chit-chat and Matthew was like, this is good, I need to write this down. No, because in, in earlier a few chapters in, in Matthew chapter seven in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would build the foundations of forgiveness further out uh, about the when, when he would talk about the measure that we use in judging others and judging situations and stuff like that. He he would say he would say this. He would say, "For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. For the measure that you use will be used to you." Now th- we often get tripped up in this and with the with things with ideas like, "Well, yeah, you should." judge no God has given us the capacity to judge things but we need to be careful whose measure we're using there's a few side points that we need to mention the first is a temptation our temptation could be looking at the statement and going ah loophole I can sin as much as I want and I if I just forgive loosely that's that'll work don't worry about that. Paul closed that loophole later on when he wrote to the Roman church. He said this and about grace and salvation in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Why are those why we are those who, who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, no, don't be dumb. That isn't what Jesus is getting at in this parable. The second statement that we have to deal with comes in the form of dealing with the pain. Of being on the receiving end of offenses. Part of God's perfect image that He intended for us to bear was His sense of justice. Unfortunately, our sense of justice is broken because our sense of justice often leads with me, our sense of justice often leads with how am I feeling. How does this situation make me feel? Not what's true and right and just. And in matters of accountability for actions and forgiveness, we need to remember that some things require forgiveness, that letter B are beyond what you can ever extend on your own. I didn't intend on telling... This story uh, this morning, but I need to Um, because if it's healing for you, then that's awesome. For many, many years, I carried anger uh, and unforgiveness toward my grandmother, my mom's mom. Some of my earliest memories, and I don't want to vilify her here. Lover. She's no longer with us. But my earliest memories are watching my grandmother get drunk, go through about three or four cartons of cigarettes in a, in a visit. And that was just a small taste of what my mom endured growing up. And as a child, I watched the impact of her actions on my mom. The brokenness, the anger, the resentment. And I carried that with me. I was never terribly excited to visit with her. And I remember about 13 years back... I was sitting in in Split, Croatia and I was listening to a a preacher. Well, I was on a missions trip. I'm on a missions trip to bring Jesus to people and to bring them hope that nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. And here I am listening to a pastor share this message and and, and the Holy Spirit asking me the question of if Nani dies today, would you be
1: okay with her separated from me? And in that moment, I was was confronted with my inability to forgive. I couldn't do it. Up until that point, I couldn't do it. I couldn't let go. I carried the hurt. I carried the pain, not only for myself and the things that she said to me, but the things that she said about other people that I loved and that I cared for and the damage, years and years of damage. And in that moment, in that moment, the Holy Spirit confronted me with this parable. And he said, you know, Damien, you've experienced incredible forgiveness. You have experienced boundless grace. I know you can't do this alone. And I don't expect you to. I will walk with you. And it may hurt. It may hurt for years. But I will be with you. Friends, the
0: Christian life is not one where we're promised no pain. The Christian life is not one where we're promised no trouble. You will experience trouble. You will experience pain. By the grace of God, a few years ago, when she passed, I, I, got, to, I got to perform her funeral and was able to share about the love and grace that my Jesus had for Grandma Nani. And while it was painful, and while it was emotional, and we all experience trouble and pain, Jesus doesn't diminish that when he talks about forgiveness. Instead, we have one who has, we have one in Christ. We have someone in Christ who endured pain that we will probably never be able to imagine he experienced betrayal he experienced harsh harsh criticism he experienced uh, family and friends walking out on him he experienced all of those things and yet he did it for you and for me and he even did it for those people who we have the hardest time forgiving You know, oftentimes we get lost in the old adage of forgive and forget, as though forgiveness magically takes away the pain. However, what forgiveness truly does is it releases our rights against our wrongdoers and places them in the hand of a God whose justice is perfect. His justice is perfect, but He desires for them to receive grace and forgiveness too. this is a calling in the Christian life to trust the master in matters left unsettled. In this parable, had the unmerciful servant forgiven the debt that, he, he, that, he, that others had, had with him, he would have been, the, the, he, this story would have, been, would have gone so much differently. But Jesus tells the story this way so that we can get to see the enslaving nature of unforgiveness put on full display. It's hard to let go of those things. But it is far better to trust God with the outcome than to remain a slave to unforgiveness. We don't do this alone. That's the refining work of the Holy Spirit in us. Only He can help us to go beyond. And when it comes to matters of forgiveness this is the last point in your page when it comes to forgiveness go beyond go beyond what the world may think is sane by reflecting on the measureless love of God for his creation go beyond what our own capacity to forgive is by trusting in the justice of God Go beyond what is possible to forgive, remembering how much God has forgiven you. When it comes to forgiveness, friends, I challenge you, I encourage you, I beg you go beyond. Friends, there are so many other why questions. That we can ask, and I hope that over these last five weeks that you've been encouraged and inspired to search out why you do what you do, as you practice your faith in Christ. I hope that it challenged you. I hope that you found a, a place of exceptional freedom as you discover who you are in Christ, and as you have not settled, and as you refuse to settle for answering those why questions with because we're Christians and that's simply what Christians do or don't do depending on the circumstances. As we close out here this morning, I'm going to say a word of prayer for us and I'm going to invite the worship team back. Um, but maybe for you, there's a matter, there are matters of forgiveness that, that Jesus is challenging you with today. And, and maybe you need to deal with those. And uh, I want to invite our, our prayer team up as, as we close here in, in prayer. And I, I may step off the platform here too um, because this is too important. Forgiveness is too important. Don't hang on to grudges. Don't hang on to offenses. Allow the grace and the mercy of Jesus to fill those places, to bring healing and to bring restoration. We're gonna pray and we're gonna sing a beautiful song together. And then I'm gonna invite you to to join me if you would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are beyond fair with forgiveness. You forgive measurelessly. You forgive generously. The depths of your great love are just, they're unfathomable. But God, you've also challenged us not to just hang on to it for ourselves, but to be generous with our forgiveness, to be forgiving people as we are forgiven people. God, I pray this morning as, we, as we've wrestled with this, that if there are matters that have been left unforgiven, if there are old hurts, old pains, old wounds, that today would be a day to deal with those and that this would be a day marked with healing. God, we love you and we give you praise and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: As we stand in a moment to sing, I'm gonna invite you, if you want prayer, maybe you've wrestled with something, and uh, you need somebody to pray with you about that forgiveness. You may be here this morning and say, you know, this week I need to send an email, or I need, a, I need to write a letter, or, I need to make a phone call, make an appointment. And maybe you need prayer to have the courage to do that, but whatever it is, uh, there's a prayer team over here, and. Uh, uh, I'm going to ask if Kent and Hannah would come up over here as well. So as we sing, as we stand, you come. Let's take time for a prayer this morning.